0: As we start the service, the theme of the service is that I chose that image not as a, uh, as a, as a specific message to anybody. So, uh, though I've heard that the product is good, <laughs> just hearsay, I know nothing about the product myself. I love how this theme, the word renew, is, is both a verb that prompts us to action, but it's also a bit of a telos. Telos in theology means that it is a goal to work towards. So it's both something prompting us to action, but it's also this goal that God has for us. This goal of constant renewal. So God is the God of the new. Every day. Your mercies are new every morning. That kind of concept. So it's something God wants us to strive towards continuously. This notion of being renewed and, and having the new in our lives every day. I think renewal is a foundational block for our world or of our world. Think about it for a moment. In nature, anything that stops growing starts dying immediately. It's, it's one or the other. There's no middle ground here. Anything that stops growing starts dying. It's true of plants and trees, but it's also true of the cells in our body. If the cells in our body stops growing and if they stop renewing or regenerating, we start dying. So literally, the cells in our bodies have to constantly renew for us to be fully alive and to live life fully. I think this is true of more than just the physical. I think, for instance, it is theorized that we should learn at least one significant new thing or skill per year in order to flourish as human beings. It's a theory. I think there's truth to it. Think, for me, uh, think with me for a moment about new things in our lives and how, how new things change or changes our lives, or at the very least, impact our lives. Let me put up an image there. New things change our lives or changes, whichever word you prefer. How often do you try new things? Now, Ben doesn't yet know this, but uh, the church council and the, uh, the eldership actually nominated him for this next adventure that I'm planning. And there it is. So is. We're going to discuss it after church. And let's see what happens. Think about new things in your life. Think about a new car, perhaps, or a new job, or new clothes, even, or, or moving to a new country. We've experienced that, and it was quite an interesting experience. New relationships, new friends, perhaps, new adventures like this one. I, I've, I really believe in new adventures. Every time that I, every week that me and Davinda boxes, it's a new adventure seeing how much his uh, muscles have grown and things like that. New challenges, new learnings. There's one new thing that trumps them all and that actually precedes them all. It's a new thing that has a tremendous impact to change our lives, and this is it. I mean, If you think about your own life, Nothing changes my life as much as the day that I was born. Logical. Nothing shouts new life as much as this, a baby. Take Beth as an example. She's the obvious example, of course, in our community at this stage. Now, I would speculate that Beth had a greater impact on this community than any single sermon we've heard over the last year. I mean, if you think about it, Beth is a love-evoking machine. (laughs) Unbelievable how she does this. I mean, that's in spite of her hairstyle, which I think looks like somebody's electrified. (laughs) It's beautiful, beautiful. Love-evoking machine. I was told the other day, you know, after church, I wanted to hold Beth just for three seconds and I was told there's a waiting list for best time. <laughs> and that I'm actually on, on about number 78 on this list. I don't know how it happens, but apparently the rest of my family is all in the top 10 of that list. I <laughs> don't know how that works. I'm, uh, I'm working against the bitterness that has developed in my heart. Nothing has as much impact on our life as new birth. As being born that day when everything opens up. Say it in another way. It all starts at that moment of new life, of being born. It awakens us to real life and to infinite potential and, and to growth and to opportunities and to joy and to tears and all kinds of possibilities that we never even realized or dreamt about. That's what happens at that moment. The Bible agrees on this. The Bible agrees on the crucial importance of and the crucial impact of new birth on our lives. We read about this, and Ben talked about it a little bit. We read about this in John 3, and let me read it through with you. It's the Amplified Version. Now, there was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, or a member of the Sanhedrin among the Jews, who came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know without any doubt that you have come from God as a teacher, For no one can do these signs or these wonders. And these are testing miracles. These miracles that actually prove that you are God. Unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, or spiritually transformed and renewed and sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. It goes on. Nicodemus then asked the logical question. Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? I mean, he cannot enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born. Can he? Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The physical is merely physical. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I have told you you must be born again. Do not be surprised. It's not the easiest text to understand. No, this is a little bit small, which is why I had the previous slides up. But we'll just put the whole text there so that we can work with it a little bit. It's not the easiest text to understand, and yet it is as well when it opens up. So let's open it up a little bit. Let's talk about rebirth. That single most important and impacting spiritual thing that can ever happen to us. Because it awakens us to new life with God. That's what happens at that moment. To life abundant, to real life, really, if you look at it that way. Before we do this, let me say this. I'm not talking to you as people that are not reborn. Reborn. It's not because I doubt the rebirth of the people in this church this morning that we speak about this. I'm not speaking with you as people who have not not experienced this because I believe every one of you have. At least to some degree, or have some knowledge of it. But I do feel led to speak to you and with you about rebirth so that we can understand it anew. So that we can share our understandings better with others. So that we can appreciate anew what God has done for us in that moment. And so that we can be motivated anew to embrace every new possibility made possible by rebirth in our life. This is a huge thing. So back to rebirth in John 3 and what you have in front of you there. John 3. Let me put this image up. A little bit controversial, but I think it does make the point. Rebirth. The first time I had to give a message on rebirth, I was 27 years old, ministering a church, and uh, I was invited to go and speak at a men's camp where there were about 200 men. And, they, and I said, so, okay, what, are you, what would you like me to speak about? And they said, well, we would love you to talk about rebirth. Now, to put it in context, at that time, I've been through faculty, um, six years of study plus a seventh year, But never once in faculty in seven years did we address this topic of rebirth. The church that I came out of did not really believe in rebirth. Now, there's not many verses in the Bible that talks about rebirth or use that specific word, but the concept is all over the place. There's actually three verses that directly talks about rebirth. One in Peter, one in Titus, and one in um, John 3 that we read about here. So I was stumped. I mean, it's not as if I'm going to say to them, uh, can you maybe choose another topic? I'm not sure I get that one. I was a little bit stumped. Now, I know that rebirth happened in my life. Some, some people, it happens more gradually, that awakening process, and then one day it all clicks, and you know it's happened, but you cannot really pinpoint where it's happened. Other people, like Paul, there's a very specific and significant experience, and you know it's happened in that moment, and you can pinpoint it and date it and everything like that. So it differs. Anyway, so I knew that at the age of 13, rebirth happened in my life. Because everything changed. Everything was new after that. I remember that moment when my mom sat on my bed next to me and and led me in that prayer, and my life changed in that moment. But I didn't know how to explain this. And then I realized I've never actually heard a sermon on it. And then I realized I don't actually really know how it works. And... and you know, where do you go and search for this? And so I was brooding and and wrestling with this. I was trying to find the image that would break this open. Because I truly believe for every spiritual principle that God wants us to understand, there's an image out of everyday physical life. And if there's no image, it means we, we don't yet get it. Something's wrong. These things have to match up. Because God made us to connect firstly physically with things in this world and out of that he breaks open understandings of the spiritual into our lives. That's why Jesus uses uh, you know, all, the, all the teaching methods that he, that he used all the time. It's all about imagery. All about imagery for Jesus. So I was wrestling with this image and after a few weeks I, mean, I was really wrestling with this. One morning in quiet time, it was as if an angel came and said, okay, here's the image you've been looking for, and dumped it all at once into my head. And it was a completed image all at once in one moment. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I think it's a hugely important thing to understand what happens in rebirth so that we can help others to understand it as well. But also so that we can understand and be in awe of what God has really done. This is a tremendous thing in our lives. So let's exegete John John 3 a little bit. There was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler. If you look at it later on in, in John 3, he talks about him as a teacher himself. Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, how is it that you who are a teacher don't get this? You're actually, uh, so in today's terminology, I would probably say that he had a doctorate in theology. He was that kind of guy, a leader among the Jews. He was learned. He could teach others, at the very least an elder, but probably around a doctorate degree in theology. He came to Jesus at night probably because he was a little bit embarrassed. I mean, don't want a leader to be seen to come to this radical new preacher and teacher that's. Turning things on their head, you know, what would the other members of the Sanhedrin say if I come to Jesus? You know, I don't want them to see, but my man, this thing, this question in my heart is burning so much, I have to do something about it. I have to come to Jesus and ask, let's just do it on the sly. And look at how clever he opens. His opening sentence is actually really quite politically correct. Teacher, we know with any doubt that you've come from God. I mean, this is, this is the smooth approach. Love it. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. You know, and I truly believe he believed that, but it was also a very smooth approach, I think. Jesus then cuts through all of that. It's as if Jesus says, yeah, wada, wada, Nicodemus, let me ignore all this political smooth approaches and let me cut to the point. Really what you want to know is this. How to be born again. How to become part of the kingdom of God. How to be born into the kingdom. This is is really your bottom line question. Is that right? Yeah, this is what you need to do. I mean, Jesus just cuts to the chase. (laughs) You can see that Jesus doesn't play the political game at all. I love that. And then he says this, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, genau." is what it says in Greek. In other words, born out of heaven. From above. Out of heaven. This changes it a little bit, so just get this. To be born out of heaven. Nicodemus would understand that means the place where God dwells. To be born out of that place. Wow, okay. A little bit deeper even than we thought. He cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God because Nicodemus wanted to know how to be part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? I mean, the logical question. Nicodemus immediately gravitates towards the physical. Man, okay, I'm born once. How can I be born twice? Doesn't make sense. So he doesn't equate the image Jesus, Jesus used with a spiritual principle that Jesus wants to illustrate. So Jesus then has to break it open a little bit more. So then he goes further How can a man be born? Jesus answered in verse 5, I assure you, most solemnly say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now some preachers say that the word water there refers to baptism. But never in the Bible in any place is, it, is that word that is used for water there connected to baptism. And then verse 6 actually explains a little bit what verse 5 means. It says, because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, born out of water, it's when a woman's water breaks. It's a physical birth. So Jesus basically says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just as a physical birth works, exactly like this, so also a spiritual birth. This is it. This is what I'm talking about. So don't be confused and think that that refers to anything like baptism or anything like that. It simply refers to a physical birth compared and contrasted to spiritual birth. And this is how Jesus breaks this open to Nicodemus. So the first step here is to understand physical birth. Now we have a few medical experts in the congregation, so you can correct me afterwards if I've missed anything or left out a step or or, uh, said it in the wrong way. But I believe this is the process that happens when physical birth occurs. So let's start right at the beginning. Love in a covenant relationship. Because there's love between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship called marriage, something happens. Seed is planted. I'm not going to go into the biology of all of this. Don't worry. But you need to understand this. A seed is planted. I mean, that's logical. Everybody gets that. And then conception takes place. Conception always means seed plus egg, you know, combines. There's a combination of something that has to happen. Then pregnancy with the possibility of an abortion at that point. 'Cause pregnancy is a nine month well it's forty weeks, nine months, thereabouts. And then dilation takes place. Usually dilation and the next one is put together, the water breaks, those things I don't I don't fully understand which one comes first. <laughs> I just know with both our kids, we almost did not make the hospital. <laughs> you know? Amazing. And then birth occurs. Now, there's a line drawn under birth, because at that point, birth has fully occurred. What comes afterwards has nothing to do with birth. It has to do with growth, but it's part of the same process. Then the umbilical cord is cut. Okay? The first cry happens, the baby is washed. There's regular feeding that has to happen, and the baby has to be fed every two hours. Man, that is bad on, on your sleeping patterns. I know. So that's why I'm praying so much for, you know, for Elizabeth and, and all of them. And then what happens is growth to maturity occurs. And once maturity steps in or, or occurs, somebody can stand in a covenant relationship of love with another person again, and the cycle repeats, and new life happens out of this. Because God is the God of the new, every morning and every day. Always the new and the renewal, that is God. So you see that in the cycle, cycle of life? If you've seen Lion King, it's a circle of life. (laughs) It's that thing. Now compare these things. I'm going to try to open it up a little bit. And I'm going to use the whole Bible, not just John 3, to explain some of these principles and just to prove some of these principles that you see there. I think it works in exactly the same way. Spiritual birth works in exactly the same way as physical birth. So it also starts with love in a covenant relationship. And I know this is small, but I'll read it with you. Love in a covenant relationship. Because I love God and because I know that He loves me and because we are in a relationship and because I admire Him so much, it's like I'm I'm in love. I'm in awe of God. Because of this, I cannot help myself. I have to do something about it. And that's something that the Bible actually unctions us to do is to proclaim God. Proclaim the gospel of the truth about God. Talk to others. Show others God. That's it. So proclaim God. And there it is, 2 Corinthians 4, 11. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, now that word fear in this context means the awe, admiration, the wonder of God, and understand the importance of obedience and worship, we persuade people to be reconciled to Him for the love of Christ. In verse 14, there, compels and controls. I mean, we feel compelled because I'm so in love. And I'm in love with God in a covenant relationship that He establishes. That's what covenant means. It's like a marriage relationship. There's a promise that is... Definite. It's a hundred percent secure relationship. That's why babies are born in God's um, way of doing things within the safety of a covenant relationship because it's a hundred percent secure. That's why marriage is required. Okay, let's go on. Then obviously seed is planted. The Bible talks about this, 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, that is, born or reborn from above, out of heaven, spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for his purpose, not of seed which is perishable, but through the living and the everlasting word of God. Now, when the Bible uses the, the words word of God, logos, like this, it most often refers to Jesus. It's another way of talking about Jesus. So we are born again. By the seed Jesus that has spiritually been implanted. So the seed has to be implanted. How is that seed implanted? The moment I cannot help myself and I have to proclaim Christ, my Savior. The moment I speak to Ruvonne about Jesus, I plant the seed Jesus into her mind in that moment. The moment she sees something of Jesus' Manifested in my life, I planted seed into her mind, Jesus. That's how it works. That's why it's so important for God that we proclaim the gospel. Because we're actually planting seed. All the time. So that rebirth can eventually occur. Let's go further. Conception has to take place. Let me just make sure I haven't missed anything on the previous one. No, I think that's it. Conception has to take place. Now, remember what we said about conception. It's always egg plus seed. Seed plus egg. Let's put it that way around. So we now know that the seed is the gospel about Jesus. It is Christ or Jesus being implanted into somebody's mind. That now has to combine with something in me, and that something is called faith. But there's a catch. Because this is not the kind of faith that saves this is, when we shared this in the 1040 window, the kids would not stop laughing because I used the Greek word. I says, this is pistis faith. You can imagine how that went. And there's another word in Greek for faith. It's pisteo. Pisteo is a verb. Pisteo means because I have a conviction, I now act upon it. That's saving faith. Pistis is a noun that says I have an utter conviction about something. But that's it. In other words, I believe, but I haven't acted on it. That's the big difference. So this is not acting faith. This is conviction only. That we have at this stage. So what happens is the message of Jesus Christ comes into my mind and I start becoming convinced. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. There's something here. A conviction enters into my mind. That's the egg within me with which the seed Jesus Christ combines. Amazing stuff. Where am I? Okay. That something is faith. We talked about all of that. Look at those verses. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace God's remarkable, remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved through faith. Now that's actually saving faith that he talks about there. So this is not yet that. And I put the verse in there so that you can see the contrast James says this, very interesting, in the same way, faith by itself that does nothing is dead. Really what he's talking about is, he says, if you believe with a conviction and it stops there, it accomplishes nothing. So, mere conviction is not enough. It starts there, of course. Without a conviction, you will never act. The easiest way to explain this is to use a chair. Imagine, I know it takes a a leap of imagination now, but imagine there's a chair here. And I stand here and I look at this chair and, I, and somebody asks me, so do you believe that chair can carry your weight? And I said, yeah, 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 of course. I mean, it, it's a chair, it's made to do so. It may look a little bit rickety. Do you believe it can carry your weight? Yeah, I have the conviction, I believe. But that chair does nothing to carry my weight until I act Upon my belief. And I go and sit on it. Now imagine the chair is Jesus Christ. Until that moment where I place my full trust on Jesus. Rebirth will not happen. So I can have the conviction about Jesus. But until I act upon it, nothing happens. Let's go on. Pregnancy. With the possibility of abortion. Pregnancy with the possibility of abortion. This is the time when God works in us through the Holy Spirit. I think something happens here and through other people. And really what God does is the Holy Spirit works in us to grow this conviction into something that is so solid that I that I'm compelled to act upon it. It has to grow. Conviction within me has to grow. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse in John sixteen thirteen really talks about people who have come to believe already. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. It's really this guiding into all truth, this growing of the conviction. Now, the principle counts from this point onwards anyway, even though he talks a little bit more about people who've already had the salvation faith enacted. So the principle is the same. The Bible does not talk about exactly how this pregnancy works. John 3, verse 8, talks about the Spirit. You know, you don't fully understand how the Spirit works. The wind blows where it wants to. You don't fully understand. The word wind in the Bible is is a word that is used for the Spirit. Ruach in Hebrew means spirit or wind. It's the same word. So when John 3, verse 8, talks about the wind, He's referring to the spirit working in people's little hearts and lives and, and minds. The bottom line is this. God works in us in ways that we don't fully even understand. you know. And the conviction starts to grow. This spiritual pregnancy may take longer or shorter, depending on how hard somebody's heart is, how much they embrace this, on the choices they make along these lines of things that God starts to reveal to them and open up to them. It may even come to a point where somebody in their innermost being say, Ah, no, no, no. No, no, people are just trying to manipulate me. I reject this. And that's a spiritual abortion that happens at that point. I don't believe that's the end of the story because I think that means God goes back to square one and He starts the whole process again. I want to believe that the God that I've come to know continues to work in people's hearts and minds over and over again. Give them this opportunity. That's the God of grace and mercy that I know. Because people often reject. People more often reject than we know. But God persists and perseveres. Let's go on. Dilation of the water breaks. This is where our heart breaks over sin in our, in, in our lives. I mean, Psalm 51, David. The whole psalm, go and read it at home, is, Lord, create me a clean heart again. Lord, I'm heartbroken over the sin because I realize now what I've done. It's that moment where it clicks, where it opens up, where revelation comes into our heart. And, and even though the conviction has grown and now suddenly it clicks in my heart, wow, I cannot save myself because of sin. Because of how big this burden of sin is that I carry, doesn't work. So something has to break. And there it is, our hearts break over sin. Matthew 5, 4, Jesus in his great sermon on the mount starts, We well, actually starts in verse 3 with this thing, he says, tu pneuma. In other words, uh, Makarios, tu pneuma. he says, Blessed, supernaturally happy are those who are bankrupt in spirit. Spiritually poor. The word is actually bankrupt. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, so now that you understand you're spiritually bankrupt because of sin, can you now understand that you have to have this deep sadness about sin? Those who mourn over their sin and repent. Amazing stuff. So something breaks in us, and it opens us up to accepting Jesus as Savior. If something doesn't break open, we won't receive it in. So it's at this point where our faith, our belief, that conviction becomes something more. It's now grown to a point where it breaks open, becomes faith. Because now I feel compelled to act, and I feel compelled to cry out, Jesus, yes, I believe in you. And I place my trust in you alone, place my trust in you alone, the chair. Understand this, this is the only part medically in my understanding that the baby plays in the whole birth process. All the work is done by the mother. Well, a little bit the father in the beginning, but (laughs) get what I'm saying. All the work is the mother, the birthing process. Yet it's the baby inside the mother that secretes the hormone that puts the mother's body into labor. In other words, that's that moment where I have to say, Yes, Jesus, and then God does all the rest. It's an amazing thing. I did not expect to become emotional at this point, but yeah, wow. And God has all the rest. I've been there with both my kids' birth. And man, my admiration for my wife went to seven new levels. I'll tell you that. That's my admiration for God, for what He's gone through to birth us into new life. It's not an easy thing. Romans ten nine. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Yes, Jesus. If you confess it with your mouth. The birth happens. Because that confession says, yes, I now act upon it. I now go and sit on Jesus with all my trust so that he can carry me into kingdom life, heaven, new life. Let's go on. And then birth happens. And there's only one birth channel or canal that's the word to say it, I think. Naturally, there's only one birth canal. Won't go into the biology again. You can all understand what I'm saying. Spiritually, it's the same. There's only one way, only one birth canal. That's through Jesus. If you take the image a little bit further, it becomes even more amazing. I mean, that verse that Mel read this morning out of 1 Peter 2, verse 9, is that right? We are born out of darkness into light. Take this image a little bit further. We are born out of a place of darkness where we feel comfortable and safe, but if we stay there, we will die because there's no, growth, there's no room for growth. We'll die there. It's dark, but it feels safe because I don't know better. And then I'm born into a place of light that is unlimited growth potential. And I can see. But man, I don't feel safe. That's why God wants us to be part of a community. Because on our own, we don't feel safe. Without God with us, we don't feel safe in this world of bright light and unlimited growth potential. I felt safe in the womb, in the darkness, but I would have died there. You see this image? It's incredible how these things compare. Unbelievable how God has done this. Okay, let's continue. Almost there. I think the umbilical cord being cut is, is hugely important, though at this point the birth has happened. But imagine a baby is born, and after birth the umbilical cord is never cut. I, I believe, and I don't fully understand how that would work, but I believe, just by virtue of logic, that that would be quite unhygienic. And the baby may even become quite sick, and it won't work. You know, so something has to be cut off. You cannot imagine a baby trying to progress with the afterbirth and the umbilical cord still connected. Can you imagine that? I mean, logically, it doesn't make any sense. This is, I believe, where God says, okay, now break with sin in your life. Now, some sin we can break with in that moment by confessing it. Other sin is embedded as habits, and that usually takes longer because God has to dehabit us and give us new habits. And and that's the journey with the spirit of sanctification and, and all of those things that happens. So there's, there's a contrast here. But this is it. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, note, not sin. It's not a collective concept that says, Lord, please forgive my sin. Amen. At this point, it's sins. God wants us to recognize with Him which ones we are talking about and confess those by name. A little bit different than what we usually know, and then it goes further. and will forgive our sin and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness. Continually cleanse us. Go further. First cry, back to Romans 10, 9. I mean, if we confess with our mouths, I believe there has to be this confession. There has to be this declaration. I believe it's it's what the Bible says. It's important. It's interesting, when somebody comes to believe it and then speaks it out, it gains power. It gets, stre- it gets strengthened in my own mind, but also it's out there. In 1957, a guy with the name of Foucault coined something called the language act theory. And basically he said as he said, what you speak, make things happen. In 1988, this is academic nonsense, but anyway. In 1988, Anderson and Gulish and two other guys coined something along the same lines that they called social constructionism, and they said the same thing. How you speak about things reconstruct realities. There has to be a confession to make it real. That's the first cry. It's like a baby's first cry. And then I'm going to stop at this point. Then the baby is washed. I think it's a little bit contestable, yeah, but I believe it has to do with baptism. Now, it's not the same as the umbilical cord being cut. I think baptism has a deeper meaning that the Bible never fully explains, never opens it up. So it remains a bit of a mystery what happens during baptism. But I believe in baptism, it's almost like God cleanses us of the after effects of sin on our lives. It's very clear that when people has been, have been baptized, it becomes so much easier for them to walk the walk with Christ after that. Empirically, I know that is true. I've seen it many times. I mean, I know, sto- I know this, for instance, in the Hindu faith, that it's okay if you accept Jesus, but don't be baptized. The moment you are baptized, the persecution becomes, because that is a declaration into the Spirit that you have chosen to fully follow Christ. And only then does the persecution become real. I know of a story that I've been told firsthand of a guy that had to pray for somebody. He was in the Satanist cult. He had a huge tattoo on his back. uh, Worship the devil kind of pentagram tattoo on his back, his whole back. So um, now it comes to baptizing this guy. He's given his life to Christ and all of that. And as he stood up out of the baptism bath or (laughs) out of the water... Uh, people could see physically see it happening before their eyes how the statue washed away you know that 's just a, just a hugely amazing image. Something happens there. The baby has to be washed. Imagine a baby is born and never washed. unhygienic cannot grow he has been born, but struggles let 's finish it off. Uh, I'm not talking much about regular feeding and growth and maturity, Maybe not, let me just say this, with regular feeding, remember it is our task at the beginning to feed babies, I mean, it's not as if Beth can feed herself, mm-hmm. she would love to I think, but <laughs> it's not happening. When you get to the age that our kids are now, where they are taking off in their eating habits, you know, you, you wish they would never have learned to feed themselves because they <laughs> eat too much, <laughs> that's different. They are Both Both of them are now eating more than I do, and that's a huge bruise to my ego. I'm still working on that. <laughs> so growth to maturity. You see, regular feeding happens, and then we start to grow into maturity, and we can start to feed ourselves. We can start to go into the Word. We can start to choose where to go to get feed, f- food, spiritual food. But a baby at the beginning cannot do that. So it's our responsibility as a community and a congregation to feed them. They don't even know they need it. Maybe. And then they grow and the circle can complete. And once again, once they grow in maturity, in faith, they can stand in a loving relationship with God out of which other spiritual babies will be born. And the cycle completes. Because for God, everything is renewing all the time. God wants us to renew. Now let's apply this a little bit more. The challenge for us this morning is this. New life doesn't stop with rebirth. It starts here. It doesn't stop. It starts here. And then it challenges us to constantly renew the new life that we've been given, like the cells in our bodies. Same thing. Renewed faith, renewed intimacy with God, renewed growth, renewed witness, renewed revelation. I mean, you can, you can add many words there. Get the idea. So the challenge and the big question is this. Are we renewing, or did it stop with rebirth? It should not, because rebirth has always been intended to grow us into God's new life. More and more, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, thank you for what you've done in rebirth, rebirthing us. Thank you that we are born out of heaven, from above, into the kingdom of God. And it's the thing that you did. Really, the only small part we played was to say, yes, Jesus. What an amazing thing. Help us to understand this better. Help us to be in awe of what you've done and what you've gone through to birth us into new life in the kingdom of God. And help us not to squander this, but to fully embrace it and continue to renew Continue to grow and continue to help others to come to a deeper understanding of new life through Christ in the kingdom of God. We are excited about this. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And please help us. Amen.